This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. (laughs) Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, what does a Jew make of Jesus? My guest today is Martin Pakula. Martin is a Bible college lecturer where he teaches the Old Testament and biblical languages. He grew up in a Jewish family in Sydney, yet something changed. We'll hear Martin's story today, and he joins me now. Please welcome Martin Pakula. Well, Martin, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks, Rob. Now, just to clarify, you're different to the Martin Pakula who works in Victorian politics, is that right? Uh, I am. We're third cousins, we're the same age, and our fathers also have the same name. Okay. Do people confuse you at all, though? Sometimes I've had students at Bible College who say, hang on, I heard you speaking on the radio as the Attorney General, and (laughs) what what do you mean, you're a lecturer and a politician? Like, how do you do both? (laughs) And the answer is, you don't. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Okay. Well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Martin Pakula, not the politician, about what a Jew makes of Jesus. So, Martin, our smaller questions to you today are, what have famous Jews made of Jesus? Uh, Do you feel prepared or ready? No. (laughs) No? Okay. Anyway, we'll see how you go. I'm sure you'll do fine. Two questions, both multiple choice. Question one. Which one of the following surprising quotes about Jesus was made by Jewish Orthodox scholar Pincus Lapid? Was it A, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy? Was it B, if Jesus came back and saw what was being done in his name, he'd never stop throwing up? Was it C, I accept the resurrection of Easter Sunday not as an invention of the community of disciples, but as an historical event. Or D, if Jesus was a Jew, how come he has a Mexican first name? (laughs) So Um, which of those was made by the scholar Pincus Lapid? I feel relieved. I think I know that one. It's C. It's C. And the answer is C. Correct, yes. A was Monty Python, B was Woody Allen, and D was a Billy Connolly joke. Um, now, anyway, so interestingly, Lapid, whilst accepting the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection, uh, he denied that Jesus was the Messiah because the kingdom of God hadn't come in its fullness. So anyway, question two. So you're doing okay so far? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's good yeah. <laughs> so which famous Jewish person said the following about Jesus? I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. Was it A, Woody Allen? B, Albert Einstein, C, Natalie Portman, or D, Bob Dylan? Ooh, I, I don't, I'm not sure about this. I'm going for either Albert Einstein or Bob Dylan. I would recommend that, yeah. Yeah. So, just, okay. so, so, so you're narrowing it down. I'll go for Bob Dylan. Or... Or, or Albert Einstein. Yes, actually, it was actually Albert Einstein. Now, Einstein was no Christian. Um, he didn't believe in a personal God, but it appeared he certainly had a warm affection for Jesus. So, Martin, in our quiz, you did well. You passed. You got one out of two of our smaller questions right. Please give Martin a big hand. Thank you. Now, Martin, we're talking today about what a Jew makes of Jesus. But growing up, it was, was it fair to say that you had heard nothing about Jesus at all? 
Yeah, I think people would be surprised to learn that. So I grew up in, in Australia and you'd think that I would have heard about Jesus, but uh, actually I didn't. Mm -hmm. It's not that there was anything anti-Jesus or anti-Christian about it, but um, from a Jewish point of view, there's two types of people in the world. There are Jewish people and there are goys, which are non-Jews. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is fine for goys. That, that's great if they're into him but he's not for Jews, that's the kind of line. So when things like assemblies at school came up and people talked about Christianity, you left the room. Um, again, not to be anti-Jesus or anti-Christian, it's just that's not for us. Mm -hmm. So I literally had never heard a thing about Jesus growing up, absolutely nothing. Mm. So tell us, what was it like then growing up in a Jewish home? What did you do? It was great. Christians, I think they think their Jewish friends are quite religious because outwardly they look religious. Um, being Jewish is like being in a sort of RSL or Aussie rules club where the rules happen to be religious. You don't care much about religion or God, but you follow along with the rules, which are religious. So most Jewish people keep festivals. We had uh, Sabbath, Friday night dinner every week. Um, so doing a lot of Jewish things, not because you're interested in God or religion, but that's just part of the culture. So did a lot of that stuff growing up, went to synagogue. I went every week, uh, loved it all. It was great. Yeah, so yeah. You, and you were heavily involved? Uh, I, I, I was. The usual figures in Australia are that um, about 5 to 10% of Jewish people are religious, so only a small percentage. Um, I was part of that 5 or 10%. Mm -hmm. um, most people after their bar mitzvah stop going to synagogue, so that, that's around the age of 13 for boys. I kept going. I went every week, um, some, sometimes almost every day to different things. Uh, I was heavily involved and um, I loved being part of that Jewish community. What did you like about it? Uh, well, I liked my friends. Um, I mean, it's mainly social. Um, so I liked my friends. I liked, um, I, I guess people will say this sometimes about church. I don't agree with it so much, but the, the kind of religious feeling of going to a holy building at synagogue mm -hmm. and I did appreciate that kind of thing at the time. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But then you even went through a particularly religious phase. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's funny. Most people looking at me outwardly would have thought I was very religious. I went to synagogue every week, but I never thought of myself as religious again. I just thought this was normal stuff that Jewish people do and didn't associate it so much with religion as such. It was more cultural. Um, but in year 11, my second last year of school, uh, there was a very orthodox Jewish guy at school with me and he persuaded me to go religious, which meant saying your prayers three times a day and in the morning putting on um, the prayer shawl, saying your prayers, doing that three times a day. So for about three months, I very dutifully did that every morning, rattled off the prayers, which are all in Hebrew. I, I had no idea what I was saying, but I know the prayers off by heart, probably still. And at the end of three months, I was bored out of my brain and I thought... Religion is not for me. Right. So after that, though, you uh, pursued, a, you went through another phase. Mm. What happened then? Uh, so in, in year 12, the next year, I, I had a being good phase. So that might sound strange to people who are Christian, but um, I didn't associate being Jewish with being good. Didn't associate it with being bad, mind you, but just had nothing to do with being good or bad. And I decided to be good. So I, I actually had a very rough upbringing and um, I'm sorry to say that at this time before I was Christian, I was getting drunk on the weekends, smoking dope. I was in a street gang, vandalising, all, all sorts of stuff. And for the sake of doing well at school, I, I thought, I, I want to go straight. I'm going to stop doing all that stuff. I'm going to be good from now on. And that also lasted about three months. I found it really boring and <laughs> stopped at that point. Although it did pay off, though, with doing well at school, though, didn't it? 
Uh, it, it did, so um, I, I did end up doing well at school. So it feels like a long time ago now. It is a long time ago. Um, but uh, in the HSC in New South Wales, which is the VCE in Melbourne, um, I got the highest score, so I got 493 out of 500. So, yeah, it paid off. Well, well, well obviously, well, that was a great achievement. Um, and you were, in some ways, what, the toast of your friends, toast of your family? Uh, yeah, I remember it being announced at synagogue and um, uh, everyone thought it was fantastic and all that sort of thing it was in the newspapers and so on. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Um, you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you topped the state, then you went to start medicine at Sydney University. Yeah. Um, but what was your life like at this time? Were you, were you happy? Uh, I was very unhappy. So most people wouldn't have known that. Um, I was very empty on the inside. I guess I'd hoped when I got to my achievements, topping the state was like getting to the top of the mountain, and that when you got there, you just found there was nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, it didn't fill the hole that I had in me. Uh, my upbringing was um, very sad, and uh, I was deeply, deeply unhappy. Mm. Can you share a little bit about what made your upbringing sad? My father left us when I was one year old, and uh, I pretty much didn't see him again until um, my bar mitzvah when I was 13. Um, so I just grew up with my mum and um, she tried hard, but it was very, it's very difficult being a single parent mm. and uh, she struggled. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So then you went to university, you started doing well, which, which, is, which was good. Uh, then you met a girl. Mm. What happened then? When I was in second year, I met a um, Australian born Chinese girl, um, Karen Barnard, her name is. Sorry, Karen. And, um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I was infatuated with her and um, I found out she was a Christian. And so I, I asked her out for a, a lunch date. Uh, she was in my year in medicine and um, I, I've never asked her this, but I assume that she just wanted to get rid of me. So she said, I'll go on a date with you if I can talk to you about Christianity for the whole lunch hour. <laughs> and, uh, I was desperate, so I said, yeah. <laughs> so what'd she say? I can't remember virtually anything she said. <laughs> uh, you were just looking into her eyes, yeah, right? <laughs> like yeah, I hope my wife's not listening. Uh, <laughs> no, we're good friends. And um, she gave me a book called A Fresh Start by John Chapman. And um, it was really reading that book and uh, then speaking to a school teacher I, I, who was a Christian at the end of that, that was really what helped enormously. Mm. And she also gave you a Bible? Uh, she did read? give me a New Testament. Um, one of those celebration New Testaments that were being handed out. Yeah. Um, and you'd never read the Bible before? I'd read almost no Bible. Um, so uh, Even I, though you were going to synagogue each week? We, we read it in Hebrew. So yeah. I, I, got, I have slabs of it off by heart in my head in Hebrew, but I had no idea what that meant. Right. For some special Bible quizzes, I'd read little bits here and there of the Old Testament, none of the New Testament. That was it. So just tiny parts. Right, yeah. okay. Um, and so you started reading the book. Mm. Um, what did you discover? Uh, I, I was blown away. I was shocked because... In all that time at synagogue, I'd heard very little about God or the Bible. I, I believed in God. I believed the Bible was true, but it, it was hardly ever mentioned. So the sermon is only 10 minutes out of a three-and-a-half-hour service. The sermon's the only thing in English. It's more sort of political and social again, not so much about the Bible or God. And here is, from my point of view, a goy uh, writing this book, talking about God as if he actually believes in him, quoting the Bible that he actually believes what he's saying. And that really shocked me that I was hearing this from somebody who wasn't Jewish and uh, I thought what I was hearing sounded true. Mm. Yeah. 
And you also read the New Testament and encountered the figure of Jesus. Was your experience somewhat similar to Einstein's, that you were enthralled by the figure of Jesus? Yes and no. So, um, I mean, there was, there was nothing bad that I read about Jesus. So all the stuff sounded great, the, the miracles he did, the things he said. But, but it was more um, a fresh start. This book was really good that it focused on Jesus' death. I'd never heard about this before. And I was absolutely blown away that Jesus would die and pay for my sins. I, I, I just couldn't believe that he would do that. I couldn't believe that Christians weren't screaming this from the rooftops. I thought, how, how did I get to almost the age of 20 and I've never heard this before? It was just, for me, the, the, the best thing I, I had ever heard. I was absolutely blown away. Mm. But were you aware of the concept of sin, though? No. Again, most Christians wouldn't realise that Judaism doesn't believe in sin, modern Judaism. There's no such thing. People are sort of considered a blank slate and you have an, a bad inclination and a good inclination. And the bottom line is people are seen as basically good but can do bad things. I was convinced I was sinful. I, I had, in, in year 11, done some general studies where we looked at World War I, World War II, nuclear stuff, I, the Holocaust. I was horrified by the way the world was. I, I knew I was bad. So when I read about sin, this was for the very first time that I had heard this idea and I knew it was right, I knew the world was a mess, I knew people were sinful and I knew I was sinful. I had no doubt that what I was reading was true. And again, I was shocked that I hadn't heard this at synagogue. Mm -hmm. So then what impressed you then about Jesus as you read this fresh start and read the New Testament? Again, that he tells the truth, Mm -hmm. but really his death and resurrection is what the book focused on. And the fact that Jesus would die and in my place for my sins, it was almost like it was too good to be true. Yeah. absolutely blew me away. Yeah. So what did you do about it? I thought about it long and hard and I read the book very slowly and uh, the book talked about hell and I thought about whether hell was real and I thought I had no doubt if hell was real that I was going there and I, I looked up this school teacher who I knew was Christian and I asked him a lot of questions night after night and he patiently answered my questions but on the last night he said, if when you walk home from my place back to your house... God forbid you get hit by a car, what do you think will happen? And I thought, I have no doubt I I will go to hell. And so he challenged me, why don't you pray to God when you get home tonight, ask for forgiveness because of what Jesus has done. So I went home, I I knelt. Walked home home carefully. I walked home carefully, (laughs) watching for buses. (laughs) Um, I um, knelt at the side of my bed and I prayed that God would forgive me because of what Jesus had done and I went to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, I, I just felt like a ton of weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I, I knew God had answered the prayer, yes, because Jesus had died and paid for my sins. So, of course, he said yes. I knew I was forgiven my sins and I, I couldn't get the smile off my face for, for months after that. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Today's big question is, what does a Jew make of Jesus? The Bible offers insights into this question. Indeed, in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have, Jesus speaks with a group of Jews, and he asks them, who do people say that I am? Now, Martin, the question of the identity of Jesus isn't a question that modern Jews ask. So what do Jews make of Jesus, though? There have been Jewish writers who who have sort of discussed this issue, but um, I mentioned before about 90% or more of Jewish people are not religious. So they're just like average normal Aussies. And I think they think of Jesus what average normal Aussies think, which is pretty much 
he's a good person, a good teacher, that kind of thing. Again, he's not for us, he's for the goys, but he's a good, good man and a good teacher. Uh, the very orthodox Jewish people, unfortunately, have a very negative view of Jesus and uh, they more think that he's like a, an evil charlatan, so that he's tricked Jewish people um, and he's taking Jewish people away from the Jewish club, so to speak, and so they see him more like a, an evil magician, a sort of trickster. Mm. Mm. Now, in this passage in Mark 8, uh, Jesus' disciple Peter, who was also a Jew, makes a significant statement by saying in verse 29 that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this is something that Pincus Lapide, the Orthodox scholar, didn't believe about Jesus. So, Martin, what is a Messiah? M Messiah is a word to mean anointed. So, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests and kings got anointed when they took up their office. So every king of Israel is a Messiah. So David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, all of them are Messiahs. They're all anointed to be king, but they're a Messiah with a little m. And the prophets like Isaiah and others talk about the king who will be perfect, who will rule forever, who is the perfect king, which is the Messiah with a capital M. And so they're still looking forward to this perfect Messiah um, at the time of Jesus. And what was this Messiah going to do? Well, in Jewish teaching, um, there were two strands of thinking. So there was the Messiah son of David and the Messiah son of Joseph. The Messiah son of David was meant to be the all-conquering hero, which you read about in Isaiah and some of the Psalms and so on. Uh, the Messiah son of Joseph was meant to be somebody who was more like the suffering Messiah of Isaiah chapter 53 like the suffering servant and some of the Psalms and the way David suffered in 1 Samuel before taking his throne. Mm. And it was kind of like, if we're bad, we get the suffering Messiah. If we're good, we get the all-conquering Messiah. And sadly, they didn't put the two together because, of course, Jesus is both. Mm. Well, the concept of the Messiah, so as you've mentioned, has its origins in the Jewish scriptures, which is the Old Testament. But is the idea of Messiah a Jewish concept today? No. So, uh, again, Christians would be surprised. I know a lot of most Christians would think um, Jewish people are looking forward to the Messiah. And um, I think I've met one Jewish person ever out of hundreds or thousands who thinks that. So th there are basically three eras of Judaism. Um, let me take a step back from that and, and try and explain. If you, if you look at Christianity, Christianity starts with a good start in the book of Acts. 1,500 years later, by the Reformation, it's gone so far off you need the Reformation and, you know, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of Luther this year. Um, so Christianity has gone off the rails by 1,500 years. Now, Judaism today is Pharisaism 2,000 years on. So it was already off in Jesus' time, as you read in the Gospels. It's had 2,000 years to go much, much further off and it, it would be unrecognisable to you if you're reading the Bible. Those three eras, the first era of Judaism is Biblical Judaism, which... Christians are familiar with from the Bible, and that ends with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Um, then there's rabbinic Judaism. So at the end of the first centuries, the rabbis got together, they said, we've got no temple, no sacrifices, no priests, so the whole of biblical Judaism's gone, what do we do? And to be simplistic, they basically came up with a new religion, which is rabbinic Judaism, which is based on the Old Testament, but very different to biblical Judaism. And it's basically Pharisaism, 
And that continued till the Enlightenment around the end of the uh, 18th century. So around 1800, you then get modern Judaism, which is a very watered down sort of version, liberal version of rabbinic Judaism. And there's different types of Jewish people. So reformed Jews, for example, don't believe in a Messiah at all. They just say there's no such thing. Uh, Ultra-Orthodox Jews say that Menachem Schneerson, their Rebbe who died in the 1990s, they say he is the Messiah. Um, and for some of them, they even say that he rose from the dead and that he's God. So very similar to what we think of Jesus. Um, for modern Orthodox Judaism that I grew up in, they believe in a messianic age, but not a messianic person. So it's very different to what you might think. So what role then does the Old Testament scriptures play in, for modern Jews? Most Jewish people don't read the Bible. Um, I wish they would. Um, some do, of course, but most don't. Um, you're usually encouraged to read it in Hebrew, and it's more like an act, a good deed that you do by reading it in Hebrew rather than understanding it because it's a religion of works, not faith. So reading it in Hebrew is the big thing. Uh, for rabbis or very orthodox Jews, they focus on the first five books mainly, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and a rabbi will know that backwards in his sleep. So he'll know Genesis to Deuteronomy really, really well. But often they won't know much of the other scriptures. So um, I, I met with a rabbi once and I had a question for him about Josiah and I spent about two minutes asking the question and I was waiting for his answer and at the end the answer was, who's Josiah? Never heard so of Josiah him. Josiah's a, a king in the he's, Old Testament. He's a king in two kings. <clears throat> the, the rabbi hadn't read two kings, never heard of Josiah. Mm. Yeah. But things were a bit different in Jesus' time. So 2,000 years ago... The Jews then were looking for a Messiah? Yeah, so 2,000 years ago, I think they were. A New Testament scholar will know far more about Judaism 2,000 years ago than I will. <laughs> um, but yes, they were looking for a Messiah and, and, and hence this passage it's, in Mark 8. It makes a lot more sense in that, in that context. Yeah. yeah, and their expectations of a Messiah, though, were perhaps a bit different to what Jesus said he, when he said he, was, he came to suffer and die. Yeah, so they were looking for that Messiah, son of David, who would be the all-conquering hero. And... Um, a suffering Messiah. Does not. There was some expectation, but not a lot. Not the same. Yeah. Now, once Jesus' identity as Messiah was clarified, he goes on to say that the Messiah must suffer, die, and rise again, which was surprising to first century Jews. So Jesus then clarifies what it means to follow him as Messiah. He says in Mark 8, 34 to 36, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? So Martin, how are the promises of losing your life for Jesus uh, mentioned here a reality for you? I mentioned before, I was at a very low point. So even though I, I was at synagogue and I was leading services, singing in the choir, I was around the top 10 in my year in medicine, I was doing well, looked successful outwardly, uh, I felt like I had nothing. So in becoming a Christian, I understood that as I put my trust in Jesus, death and resurrection, that I was giving up my life. I was saying, I no longer live, my life now belongs to God. And um, actually, at the time, I didn't feel like I had a lot to lose. So uh, that <laughs> didn't seem like such a difficult thing to do. But the, becoming a Christian, though, uh, from someone with a Jewish background like you had, there was a cost there. Uh, there was. So many of my extended family and friends uh, immediately broke relations with me. So for many of them, I never saw or spoke to them again. 
Um, certainly not as severe as for people who are from a Muslim background, so there were no physical threats or anything like that, but many people cut me off and never spoke to me again. And for some of my extended family and friends, for them it was more just like I'd lost my mind. So the idea that you'd leave the Jewish club, go to the Christian club, is obviously so insane that you have completely lost your mind, and that's what most, I think, of my family and Jewish friends would think of me today, just that I've completely nuts. So there was, in many ways, a, a, a cost for your family and the, I mean, obviously family gatherings would be very different for you. Uh, yeah, quite a big cost, um, but I, I think compared to being forgiven your sins and having eternal life, uh, no cost at all. So I've got to say at the time, it, it, yeah, I was just focused on Jesus and what he'd done for me. Mm. Um, but you also, but you consider yourself Jewish though, don't you? I do. I say I am Jewish. Some people who are, who are Christian even correct me and they go, what, you mean you were Jewish? But to <laughs> say you were Jewish is like a reverse Galatians heresy. So Gentiles... What's the, what's the Galatians heresy? So the Galatians heresy is if you're a non-Jew, a goy, a Gentile, it's saying you have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian, which is what people thought in the first century. This would be the reverse of that and saying if you're Jewish, you have to become a Gentile in order to become a Christian. I was born Australian, born male, born Jewish, because being Jewish is defined by being born that way through your mother. If your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish, that's it. I'm still male, still Australian, <laughs> still Jewish. Yeah. Right, okay. Now, so this passage also talks about losing your life in order to save it. So has the sacrifices you've had to make for Jesus been worth it? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. So uh, it's not all rosy. I've had difficult times as a Christian. In fact, I'd say... The last year or so has been the most difficult time I've had in 30 years of being a Christian. Mm -hmm. But being forgiven your sins and having eternal life, relationship with God, is just incredible. Mm. Still mm. is. Questions come in. Uh, I have a Jewish friend who rejects Jesus as the Messiah and sees Christianity as an excuse to persecute Jews. How do you answer that? How, how do you respond to that? It's sad. Um, unfortunately, there's truth in it. I remember doing some door knocking and a Jewish person answered and they, they gave me a line which a lot of Jewish people will give about how Christians have persecuted Jews for so many centuries, which is unfortunately true. But I gave the answer, which I think is also true, that most of those people aren't really Christians. So before modern times, a, a country being Christian is like saying everyone in Australia now is Christian. It's just the country's not Muslim or Jewish, therefore it's Christian. So most of those people who persecuted Jews are not real Christians. They don't. They're not people who trust in Jesus. But he knew enough that he said to me, what about Luther? And you see, Luther and some real Christians have persecuted Jewish people. So it's very sad that there are some real Christians who have persecuted Jewish people. That's awful. And I know that most Christians today, of course, would never, never do any such thing. And um, we're, we're against that. So Christians would want to say very clearly that if Christians do anything wrong to Jewish people, we know the Bible says that is wrong. Mm. So, Martin... What do you, a Jew, make of Jesus? He's my Messiah, he's my Saviour, and he's my Lord. He's God come to earth in the flesh, uh, not a man who's become God, which is a, often a Jewish misunderstanding, but God who's become man and given his life and risen from the dead so that I can be forgiven my sins. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, what does a Jew make of Jesus? From Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, 
Martin Bikula. 